Ryan, are you there? Hello, Michael. Hello, Internet. Hello, world. Hello, worldwide Internet. Welcome to another edition of the Buck and Sack Show. I'm Michael Sachs in San Francisco. Ryan Buckley, you are in Portland, Oregon. It's Tuesday night, May 12, 2020. Ryan, we are still very much in the throes of a global pandemic. How are you doing? Uh, relatively speaking, I'm doing well. I tried to uh, escape into under the throes of my deck this weekend mm -hmm. on uh, on Friday here. It broke 80 degrees in Portland for the first time in 239 days. So uh, it was a it was a weekend to be had. A lot of deck time. I know I sent you a text on Sunday. I smoked a pork shoulder for about 11 hours. Uh, so I just I is that the only thing you smoked? Um, it is not because okay. tonight. Uh, I used the leftover pulled pork to make uh, my what is now my my go-to leftover pulled pork recipe, and that's smoked chili. Nice. So I did a five I did a five hour chili smoke tonight with uh, pulled pork, ground turkey, uh, onion, bell pepper, jalapeno, habanero, um, salt, pepper, cumin, all the good stuff. That sounds outstanding. I've been smoking some things myself, but none of them are yeah. animals. Um, yeah, not, not, not tonight. Not tonight. Tonight, you know, taking it easy. But yeah, man, you know, it's California. It's good to go an essential business, so to speak. But uh, yeah, man, I just feel like we are, we are living in a fucked up and crazy time. And as I keep telling everybody that will listen, uh, if it weren't, if the stakes weren't so high, if there wasn't so much on the line and, and so much really important stuff going on, it would be the, by far the most interesting thing I've ever witnessed. I mean, we're big sports fans. We generally do a sports uh, podcast here, and we're going to talk about some sports tonight. But our world's been completely turned upside down by this pandemic in all ways. Uh, I am still paying pretty close attention to all portions. I'm far from an expert on any. I'm just really interested in everything that's going on. I find the whole thing incredibly fascinating. How about you? Uh, agreed wildly and because of all the different layers to it and because you know now I mean with every day that passes you do have teams of remarkably intelligent people working day and night trying to figure this shit out and so we learn more about this virus about how it's spreading the best ways to contain it mitigate it etc we learn stuff about it the way it's the way it's mutating changing the way it can be traced all, all these things daily we learn so much new that it feels like now we're getting more information projected out. Sometimes that information is good. Sometimes that information is bad. Sometimes we don't really know what to make of the information. But it seems like uh, every day there's a new wrinkle or curveball. And uh, like you said, if it weren't for um, really the the severity of of this and the, the lives it's taking and the families it's uh, it's hurting, then you would sit back and be like, this thing is fascinating. And it still is, but it, uh, it it's... A painful, fascinating. Yeah, I mean, I'm still here in San Francisco relatively safe. I'm only going to be living here for another six months, six weeks, I should say, before I move to Virginia. The weight and sort of reality of that is really starting to set in. And, you know, I wish it was happening under different circumstances, but everybody wishes all of this was happening under different circumstances. I mean, everybody's situation is a little different. Uh, I'm still, and I, I've been talking about this since this whole pandemic started, every day I try to be as grateful and appreciative for all the wonderful things that I have going on and the things in my life as much as, you know, more than ever. I just think that that's really important because if you don't 
at least for me, if I don't do a purposeful job of trying to stay grateful and appreciative and positive and look for all the wonderful things in life, it's really easy to go down the dark slope of hell. I mean, I don't know about you, but I am definitely dealing with varying levels of anxiety every day. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I feel like it, it comes and it goes. I definitely have tried to stay off Twitter more. I actually deleted it from my phone and now only do it when I'm on the computer kind of taking work breaks from work. And then at night I've got like six kind of expert doctors or or, or experts in the field of economics or or whatever in health and economics. I try to have a couple of each that I try to read what they've tweeted during the day and that's it. Uh, But I I still feel like I really want to be informed day to day. How are you sort of experiencing things on a general level? Um, for me, it, it ebbs and flows a little bit. Uh, there are times where I feel compelled to get more information in that, where I either felt like I intentionally kind of taken a little bit of a hiatus. And so then I feel like I'm out of the loop and I dive back in and I get myself into a little bit of a rabbit hole. Yeah. And then I start to feel some of the anxieties and the sensations that you're talking about that are a little bit unsettling and unnerving and, uh, try to pull myself back out. And, um, and so what I've tried to do over the last couple weeks and been a, a little bit more intentional about it is um, NPR has a really great podcast uh, called up first and it's always under 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, it's always released first thing in the morning. Like I, I leave my house uh, around four forty-five or four fifty AM to get to work. That's and, early uh, folks. It is, and it is always online. So, um, so it, it's, it's ready to go. And basically on my ride in, I just, I listen to this and it's always whatever the biggest kind of news nuggets are mostly dealing with coronavirus, but also the economy, uh, travel, uh, it's all coronavirus, societal, societal things. It's not necessarily just, I mean, a lot of it's stuff that's fallout from Corona because, but really what it serves as is, is kind of the dominant news headlines of the day, kind of the top three every day. I mean, you know, Ahmed Arbery was, was one of them, um, on, on Mondays or whatever. So it's not just Corona, but it's largely focused on Corona. And I feel like I get, the most pertinent and kind of unbiased information in like a fifth clip. And that's good to get me through at least, you know, half the day feeling like I know what's going on. And then I will usually turn on um, some sort of news, probably CNN um, somewhere for somewhere around 15 minutes to a half an hour a day. Mm -hmm. But otherwise I try to keep myself out of it now because I do go down those, those rabbit holes where you're following tweet threads and, uh, and you can, it's easy to get worked up with uh, some of the back and forth that you see in there and, uh, and and feel certain ways about the direction we're going or aren't going. And uh, so I try to be a little bit more stable with it now by listening to a short podcast in the morning and catching a little news in the afternoon. Uh, or evening just before dinner, but really, I, I, I there were times where I was going hours a day consuming this stuff, and uh, I'm definitely limiting, my, limiting myself to less than sixty minutes for sure. Probably closer to thirty now, for being honest. Yeah, for me, when you start looking too deep and too specifically into the future, that's when it gets off track for me. And I think that you now I'm going to ask you this. Um, Last week, or two weeks ago, I should say, we talked about things that we were pessimistic and optimistic about mm-hmm. relative to COVID. Tonight, I'm going to ask you this. What have you learned? Uh, at least, what do you feel like you've learned in these last two weeks? And, and one thing for me, and I'll kick it off, one of the things I've learned is no one really knows what the fuck is going to happen. Uh, I think that this thing could go in a lot of different directions Uh, We can discuss those, but that's probably the overarching thing for me. I mean, I certainly feel like I 
have kind of a, a lean as to which way I think we're heading. But that's one thing I've learned. What What are some things you've learned here since we spoke two weeks ago? Oh, man. Um, I, I feel like I have. Um, that's that's a really good question. I think that I have learned, uh, I guess, a little bit more about people's breaking points. And I don't know if, if, it, if it's tied to the weather or if it's tied to a finite amount of time. But I'm seeing a restlessness now that I know we, we referenced a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I don't I. I like you, I guess I think I know which way this is more likely to go from here. And, and I hope, I, I hope I'm wrong about that, but I, I feel like there's been, I, I feel like there's been um, too much of a cavalier attitude, uh, too much caution thrown to the wind and too many, too many poor decisions, lapses in judgment and, and, and people using discretion that maybe they shouldn't. And, uh, and I don't think, I guess what I'm learning is there are there are 6 million ways to skin this cat and, uh, and that, and that everyone thinks that the way they've skinned, they have an idea to skin the cat is the best. And, uh, there are certain things that are, that we undeniably need to happen, you know, economically, but there are, there are ways to go about it that I don't think anyone really knows. And when you weigh the risks of everyone's activities, it's always going to be an impossible argument because of the fact it's going to come down to how way whatever you're talking about against one person's life or a group of people's life and not addressing the economy is not an option, but, but saying that you're just going to have to take, take your lumps and let another 80,000 people die because we, damn it, we got to get the S and P 500 back up. Like that doesn't fly either. And it's somewhere in the middle, but I don't think we have anywhere idea where that middle is. Yeah. I think you, you hit on a word for me that I've been thinking about a lot and that is the middle. And I think that so many times in life, you know, when there's an argument or where there's conflict or where there's tension, the truth usually lies somewhere in the middle. And I think that mm -hmm. that's what the case is here. I think you've got, you know, the, the Democrats or the liberals thinking that this is kind of doom and gloom and we're going to have a lot more deaths and we need to try to save as many people as humanly possible. And that's by far the most important thing. And we're going to sort of do make policy decisions based strictly on that. Then you've got the more conservative side where kind of is generally more on the side of, you know, this is nothing more than a bad flu season. You know, the, the 80,000 or whatever the number is today uh, isn't really that bad. When you look at it, it's a lot of old people. It's a lot of people in nursing homes. It's, uh, you know, it's really, if you take the nursing homes away, the numbers are, are way lower than a bad flu season. I, I see that a lot. And I think that, and, and you know, and that they want to sort of reopen everything and just sort of let the chips fall where they may. And, you know, if some people have to die, so be it, but we shouldn't hold back. You know, the argument that 99% of the American public is not getting this disease or higher, depending on how you look at it. I think that that is an, a somewhat valid argument to make. But, you know, it's not that simple. And I think what I've learned no. is that the truth is somewhere probably in the middle of those two. I'm not mm -hmm. sure where it lies. This thing could go in a number of different directions. I do think that there's each side has some really good arguments to make. And I think each side has some really bad arguments that they're trying to make. And I guess that's probably the biggest thing that I've learned here is that no one is really right. No one really knows where this is going. And... It's tough. It's tough. There's no clear path to sort of a solution. And I think that 
you know, when you talk about solutions, to me, the solution isn't the quote, you know, just open everything and let the chips fall where they may. I don't think that's mm -hmm. the solution. It seems like there's three sort of main tactics that we have that aren't tied to a medical solution. I mean, a medical solution, whether that's a robust treatment or a vaccine, I mean, that's obviously what we all want. That's what we are all rooting for. But it's, too far, it's too far away to rely on at this point, though. Yeah, and, and, you know, so short of that, it seems like there's three kind of options. And we've talked about them before, but they're, they're, it's becoming very clear now, particularly when you look at successes and failures that other countries are having relative to us. So we're talking about more social distancing. I mean, I know a lot of other countries have had even stricter sort of stay-at-home policies than most of our states here in America. We don't seem to be willing to do that much longer, although maybe not so in certain small pockets. So that's one way. The other way is, you know, this whole sort of increased testing, tracing it, as we talked with our guests, last week and then isolating mm -hmm. the sick people uh, other countries have had success in doing that uh, our testing is increasing it's nowhere it needs to be i mean you read there's a lot of opinions on this but it seems like generally in order to get that right you have to test pretty much everyone twice a week we're a long way away from that i'm not sure yeah. we can ever get there there's been some good news on the testing front uh as of yesterday but i still think <laughs> excuse me I still think for a variety of reasons, the test trace isolate and do it at scale in this country is very hard to do. And I'm not sure we're going to ever get there. And then the third way. Well, and then, and you know, the other thing, and let me just, just piggyback on that for a second, because the, yep. the other the issue I think we have here is with kind of the, the political division, what you, what you need for really any of these circumstances that you're trying to get the whole country together is for total bond buy-in, or at least a majority buy-in, right. and when the president doesn't seem to emphasize testing enough, I know he had his whole thing yesterday that America's first, like, leads the world in testing or whatever, but, right. like, he has essentially either not gotten it or, or has kind of downplayed the importance of it, and that, well, means, ha that means half the country's not going not going to take the testing part of it seriously. He tipped his hand on Friday, Ryan, when he had that quote that, you know, Really, mm -hmm. the more testing we have makes us look worse, meaning him and his yeah. administration. And yes. I thought that was very telling uh, on a I number of levels. I thought all along that that's, what, that's what's been afoot. Right. That, that basically, we are afraid of what the real numbers will bear out, and that's why the testing has never gotten ramped up to where it's supposed to be. Because all the, all the, you know, one side is always saying that there's anyone who needs a test can get one, and yet there's all these reports of nobody having any tests that they need, and I think they're not available because people don't want the real numbers out there. That, 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 that may certainly be. Uh, the, the third thing we could do as a country, and we, and we talked about this two weeks ago, and this has become my biggest drum that I'm beating now. The more mm -hmm. I read about it, it, it's the mask wearing in public. And I think that that is our quickest, easiest, and most effective solution to solving the problem in a meaningful way. And yet, for some reason... The president, the vice president, all of his constituents, a lot of people, you know, in the public sphere, they are refusing to wear masks for reasons that are still a little bit unclear to me. Uh, I think it has something to do with, you know, freedoms and they don't like being told what to do. To me, that's just fucking ridiculous. It, it is so dumb. It, you know, you look at the data and depending on the study, there's a lot of data out there and you can kind of spin it the way you want. But I've seen article after article written by doctor 
after doctrine, looking at data from other countries. The numbers are clear. If every, if, you know, up to 70 to 90 percent of the people would just wear a mask in public. I'm not talking about wearing it everywhere. I'm not talking about wearing it on a run. I'm not talking about wearing it on the beach. Just wear it in crowded outdoor spaces in all public places. We could cut down transmission between 70 and 90 percent, and that would basically be enough to effectively wipe it out of this country. In a couple of months, we could stop wearing the mask and basically go back to life. And why we are not pushing that from every pulpit in America is mystifying to me, Ryan. Why this is a partisan issue is fucking ridiculous. It speaks terribly of of our country. And I and I, you know, I fucking hate wearing masks, man. I hate them. But when I go to the grocery store or I go get takeout or occasionally or on on Saturday we went to Sonoma, I got a curbside bottle of wine. When I have that interaction with the man that's selling me the wine, if we both wear a mask, I don't, I don't feel like my freedoms are being infringed upon. If I'm helping myself and my family and the greater good, and that's helping us knock down the virus, which in turn helps us get our economy back working, I'm happy to do that for the foreseeable future. And why every American isn't taking that same stance is, is frankly beyond me. I don't get it. I don't get it at, at all, and and the positioning of it as if it's some personal affront, like it's like it's a like it's a monumental sacrifice to to make. I I don't understand kind of the the petty bitching about it as if it's such an all. It, it's like it's like you think people are being asked to lug a fifty pound anchor around. I mean, it just I don't get. I get that it's not super comfortable. I get that it's not super flattering. I get that it isn't particularly enjoyable. But isn't it better than being stuck at home? Like a lot better. Just just go out and wear it. It's and a losing piece of cloth and, and over your I face. It's not that, that big of a deal. And I'm not trying to cast blame here, but there is one side of the political divide that's driving the anti-mask thing. There's no doubt about it. And that's the same side that's sort of driving the whole this isn't that big of a deal. We should reopen everything. So if you want to reopen everything, the best and safest way to do it is to wear masks. And, you know, I just don't understand that, this that's whole... The thing I don't, that's the thing I really don't understand, is the people who want it the most should be sensible enough to say that we need to put out the most protection. We need Then we need to be the ones working the hardest to mitigate. But it's right. not that way. It's you. It's like you fuckers figure it out. I'm going shopping. It, it is like, I, I don't understand. And, and so you have to do, you can't just reopen the economy and expect everybody to come back. It's not going to work like that. It's not that simple. If it was that simple, every other country would have done that. But the, but the countries that are getting back to work and getting back to school have done the opposite. They've been very proactive. They've been very strict with the masks. They've been very on top of the test, trace, and isolate. They've been very on top of the social distancing. So to me... The blueprint is already out there. You have to have some sort of plan. As a country, it's very clear now, we're not going to have any plan. Trump is just going to put it on the governors. He's going to push for the reopening. And then if, if the reopening doesn't do well, he's going to blame the, the Democrats and the media for scaring people too much. That clearly, I think, is the way we're going. And, you know, when you talk about what's going to work and what's not going to work, I'm going to I'm going to take the advice primarily of the doctors and the epidemiologists. I'm going to listen to Always. them above all else and I think we'd all be in a much better position if we did. Now, I do think there are ways to bring back parts of the economy in a safe way. And we've the biggest way is the mass 
and continue social distancing. You know, maybe, and this, you know, you see, this is where I think the conservative side does have some good ideas, because you see this a lot, where you talk about protect the elderly. They're the ones that are, or, or people with pre-existing conditions. Don't let them back into the workforce. Let healthy people back into the workforce. Uh, you know, modify your offices some, modify the restaurant some, encourage the mask wearing. Maybe you don't make it mandatory, but you at least encourage it. Private businesses can certainly, uh, you know, try to enact some sort of mask policy. I think all of those things are good. Another thing that I've learned is, is it seems like the, basically, if you, so, you know, there's a lot of trace data out there from other countries who are kind of doing it the right way. And all the data is showing that primarily speaking, this virus is spread indoors at, with prolonged exposures. And the number one mm -hmm. place it's spreading is in the home. So someone's going to go out of the house and get it and then come in and infect their whole family. That's the number right. one place of, of spread. The others is places like factories and jails and nursing homes or, or you know, places. Food of, processing plants. Food yep. processing plants. Or even now we're seeing in other countries now that they're going back to the office, offices mm -hmm. with, with bad air conditioning. These are all high at risk places that should not come back right now. But, you know, to me, the restrictions that we see in California and other places where the beaches are closed and the parks are closed and the trails are closed and, you know, people are, are I'm running every other day up on Twin Peaks and everybody's wearing a mask to run. It's crazy. You know, people jump out of the way when they see me coming without a mask. All the evidence, all the data shows that you are basically not spreading the disease outside in that fashion. It's almost impossible mm -hmm. so let's relax some of those things if a restaurant can have an outdoor seating area let them open it let, up. Them. let them try yeah. it I, I you know i just think that there's 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 good ideas on both sides there's smart ideas on both sides again i said it before there's bad ideas on both sides i don't understand why we can't blend the two come to a middle try to bring people together defeat this is one this is what we should be doing, but we're doing the absolute opposite. And that's what kind of gives me the most fear is we can't even get on the same page on what the right thing to do is, much less do the right thing. And that's kind of the one of the main things that keeps me up at night, quite frankly. Yeah, and I mean, you mentioned it initially, you know, we, we talked about the middle. I mean, you used the word absolute, and that really stands out to me is that there's a lot of absolutism on both on both sides right now. And people are spending so much time trying to convince the other side why their way is right and just planting their flag on the top of that hill and saying, I'm not moving. When, when really, I think where we've seen the most impact and growth in society is when people are collaborating to be creative, to think of ways to, to, to think around the virus. And whether that is with mitigation factors or opening up businesses, there are really smart and really creative ways to do a lot of things now. Uh, different companies coming up with different ways to, uh, to, to reach their clients, their customers, consumers, whatever, but th there are th the people who are working the hardest to evolve are the ones who I feel like are having the most success right now. And I think the people need to be in there with the businesses coming up with ways that I can still do the things I want to do creatively and safely. I agree. And I just want to hit on one other point here. I have a friend that works in an ER in Atlanta and I was texting with him the other day and I've kind of kept in a little bit of touch with him. Just seeing what he's seeing. And he, you know, agrees completely with the mask thing. He said he's treated 50 COVID patients so far, and he continues to test negatively, and he attributes that to him and the patients all wearing masks. And he says, mm -hmm. you know, if it can work for the people in the hospital, uh, 
and, and, and it doesn't work for all of them. I mean, you see doctors and nurses dying because they don't yeah. have the proper protection, but he apparently does. And he says, you know, if it's working for me, it can work for everyone. He just doesn't understand uh, why people don't want to wear them. And then the other thing I, to, that I wanted to point out, and then we can move on, that just speaks to this divide. There was a CNN poll today that I saw, and you know, just staggering numbers, I think. Republicans who think the worst is behind us is 71% versus 26% think the worst is yet to come. The Democrats are the exact opposite. 23% think the worst is behind us. 74% think the worst has come. To me, that illustrates the divide completely. People are get, it's filled with confirmation bias. They're hell-bent on being right. They're not hell-bent on finding a solution. Uh, and, they're, and, you know, one side is really, really scared. The other side isn't. Uh, and I think that in short order, we're going to kind of find out who's right. But again, that's not important. I, I think that uh, there no, are good no, ideas on both sides. I wish we could just take the good ideas from, from both sides and get rid of all the bullshit and try to move forward together. But at the federal le level, at least politically, and I think as a country as a whole, it's just, I think all hope is lost there. I really do. And the, and the fact that it's an election year doesn't help anything. The fact that the president's uh, you know, tax returns are being debated in the Supreme Court isn't helping all of this either. You know, this Flynn thing isn't helping either. There's just so much peripheral stuff that's going on that's just continuing to divide us politically and ideologically. And I think ultimately it fucking sucks for the country that I love. Yeah, that's, um, I mean, the way you kind of finished that point is, um, is, is especially poignant. I mean, I, I, uh, yeah, I, I, I am not an America hater. I, I love this country and I want to see it prosper. And I think that there, there is a way to get there, but it requires a little bit of teamwork that is just hard to find right now. All right, let's move to sports, where there isn't a whole lot of good news to be found either. Um, I'll start with the good news. We had a UFC fight on Saturday night. I don't watch UFC, but by all accounts, with no fans in the stands, it was really cool. Uh, I heard, you know, varying accounts that they really liked the fact that without fans, you could hear sort of the trainers in the corners. You even had an incident where one of the fighters heard, I guess, Joe Rogan and some of the other commentators talking about strategy, and he actually changed his strategy mid-fight and admitted afterwards. I think there's a potential yeah. to do some of that stuff, you know, as we move forward here with MLB, NBA, and NFL and others. And those the are all things that I think... The wild thing I saw about that fight, Michael, or though that event, is that... Uh... There, it was the most bet on fight in UFC history, which isn't surprising considering there's no other sports going on. But that it matched the handle of an AFC or NFC championship game. Really? Yeah, I did not I know read that. that. I read that on Odds Shark today, and uh, I'm like, I, that that was unfathomable to me that that me many too. people needed needed to get back in on the uh, on the sports betting. But here we are. Well, speaking of uh, lacrosse, the Premier Lacrosse League, which was a new league last year. You know, I work mm -hmm. in, the, in the lacrosse industry. I follow this closely. They announced that they're going to be the first to try the whole quarantine league model. They're going to go mm -hmm. in mid-July and take up, you know, they were with NBC Sports anyway. NBC, of, of course, now doesn't have the Tokyo Olympics. So they're going to put this three-week lacrosse tournament on the NBC family of networks in late July and early August. And then today we found out that they're going to actually have betting, which there's never been formal betting on pro lacrosse before so they're going to try to tap into that market too which i think is smart 
That's kind of cool. And then we're going to get a real NASCAR race this Sunday, Ryan. In yes, Darlington. we are. No fans. Uh, they are going to require all em employees to wear masks that are at the track, which I applaud them for, which sort of flies in the face of some of their, uh, you know, majority of their constituents politically. So I think that's a good move. And I'm excited. I'm excited. To did see you some... see the Did you see the penalties for people who are not following COVID I think it's protocols? $50,000 fine, isn't it? Yes, yes, it is. So they're going to be like, uh, no, bro, you were too close to your buddy in the pit there. You need to step back six yeah. feet. I applaud them for what they're doing. I think it's going to be great. I think they're going to get great ratings. I'm sure a lot of people will bet on it. But me and my boys are looking forward to seeing some cars racing on the track on Sunday. Mm -hmm. So that's the good news. The bad news is uh, MLB, the owners approved a, a proposal yesterday. It's now in front of the players for ratification to see if they can salvage some of the season. But word is, is the players' union is not satisfied with this revenue split proposal that is out there, and it's going to get ugly, so who knows about that. Uh, NBA had a big call with the commissioner, Adam Silver, on Friday, and it looked like things were not going to come back at all. And then today we got news that some of the best, uh, biggest stars have sort of gotten together and, and banded together and said, you know what, we got to play, guys. We got to do everything we can to play so good news there. The NFL, we don't know. Maybe the most interesting story, I think, Ryan, is coming out of college football. Um, we're just today, mm -hmm. you know, we, we've been hearing about how the SEC is sort of prepared to maybe just play on their own. You know, if other conferences mm -hmm. or other schools can't play, that they're hell bent. We on also playing. heard yesterday, uh, Clay ahead. Helton said that that, that oh, sorry, I was going to say we also heard, I, I know that the SEC was definitely first on that. I, I also heard yesterday Clay Helton. Confirmed that the Pac-12 has has uh, has also considered one of the proposals on the table is playing conference only this year. Yeah, and then today we got word that where he plays, LA County is probably going to have uh, stay-at-home mm -hmm. orders for another three months at least. So that may be a problem. Uh, and not and not just that. I don't know if you saw this, uh, but it was about an hour ago that um, let's see, let me pull up the tweet. Um, spoke. Uh, Brett McMurphy tweeted. Now it's about two hours ago. Spokesperson for the University of California system, which includes UCLA, Cal, and UC Davis, tells CBS LA that it also doesn't expect their campuses to fully reopen for in-person classes in fall. Right. So now there, there's been the whole deal where they've been saying, if there's no school, there's no football, and now it's looking like there may be some schools that don't have school. And I personally think it's going to be most, if not all, colleges that don't actually have classes, at least to start. That's my prediction. I obviously don't know. I hope I'm wrong. But I just find it incredibly fascinating that the SEC is publicly planning on playing their season, at least their conference season, with fans. In fact, so much so that Alabama now, who's supposed to open in Dallas against USC, now that we get news that USC may not be able to have a team, they're apparently in talks with TCU to replace USC on the schedule to open things up on Labor hmm. Day weekend. So, Ryan, we have basically every public event in America canceling pretty much everything for the rest of 2020. Yet we have the SEC saying they're going to play football in front of fans this fall. And it's really not even the fall. I mean, it's still the summer for yeah. the first month of the season. Yeah. I find this to be incredibly fascinating on every level. And in as much as I have been very, very critical of the president and, and those that support him, 
if they end up being right on this and they can have college and they can have SEC football games while everybody else sort of sits and watches, to me, if they can pull that off, go for it. I mean, that would be a miracle in my book. It would mean really good things for America. And if that happens, as I keep saying, if I'm wrong about all of this, I'm going to be the first to admit it. I want to be wrong. I want there to be college football. I want to see the Tide play. I want to see everybody play. I want to see colleges reopen. I want to see everything reopen. I want this to be not that big of a deal. I want the virus to just sort of go away. And that's why we want everyone to wear masks right now. Exactly. Exactly. And again, who are the people most resistant to the masks? The people who want to reopen the most. It makes The people who want to go to a sporting event. It's crazy. It, mm-hmm. It's crazy, it's sad, it's depressing. And I, again, I want to be on record here. I want to be very clear. I want nothing more than to be wrong. Prove me wrong, people. Prove me wrong. I want this to just fucking go away. I hate it. It's terrible. It's the worst. But I just don't think it's just going to magically go away without any sort of mitigation plan in place. I've gone on forever. What are your thoughts? Pick a sport. MLB, NBA, NFL, CFB. What do, you, what do you have? Yeah, CFB jumps out to me by far the most right now because I think it's the most complex for a number of reasons. One, you're dealing with youth athletes who aren't getting paid still. Um, so, Great point. So there, there is, I mean, the guys, the, the professional athletes, if they think they're in harm's way, can say, you know what, I'm good. I don't need to take the check. I'm not going to come back. Uh, I think that the fact that you're dealing with younger lives makes it feel more significant that it's not necessarily adults or at least fully mature adults making decisions for themselves. It's uh, it's younger kids and uh, maybe, maybe their parents uh, or having to decide whether or not to continue to uh, accept a scholarship or something like that. I mean, I, I don't know what it's going to cause. I also think that um, something we really haven't touched on yet and I, I think is, again, like you, hope I'm wrong – probably inevitable uh what's it going to be like when the first college team has an outbreak in their locker room is it just going to shut the rest of everything down because yeah there's so i mean we we know how um we, we know how mobile this vi- this virus is and everyone can try to do all the right things but we we know that realistically you can't quarantine a hundred college kids for the duration of a football season people are going Especially to be exposed if you have and they're to going travel to around and play games Absolutely. And, right. and, uh, and, and just being at college off on your own, assuming that's where the kids are going to be, they're, they're at high risk of, of carrying it asymptomatically at some point. And then you bring that into a closed environment where you are sharing weight equipment, hitting people, uh, sweating on people, breathing on people. Um, it, it's the kind of thing that could get it out of hand really fast. I mean, I even think about somebody posed the question on Twitter like the fact that the NFL can kind of like do what can and does do really whatever they want. And they just kind of announce what their terms are going to be. And then they, they just set forth and they have so many, so much money and so many resources that they're kind of just going to go through with what they want to do. Is that going to change if Patrick Mahomes gets it in week four and everyone says, hold on a second here. Do we really want to be playing a football season where we don't have Patrick Mahomes and oops, now we don't have Christian McCaffrey either. And oops, now we don't have, uh, you know, what, you know, somebody on the, on the Ravens defensive front. I mean, it's, it's not going to be, I mean, we saw in the UFC fight, one of the, one of the fighters tested positive before they had to, they had to drop him right before. And I think that this, maybe it's, maybe it's going to be just 
just what, just like that and just what we signed up for. And nope, there's testing all the time. One negative test, you're out, two-week quarantine. We keep everyone else safe, and we just keep right on rolling. But I, I have this fear uh, that in one of these sports, in one of these locker rooms, we, in, in even a front office, we are going to get an outbreak, and then – Will the organizations, the leagues, will they come screeching to a halt once again, or is it? Right. Uh, is it? We we all we've all assumed the risk this time. Now we're just getting the individuals out. No, I don't think it's that simple. I, I think it works with the UFC model be. because it's an individual sport. But uh, you know, take the Patrick Mahomes thing for example. It's not just that he has to go quarantine, Ryan. The entire fucking Chiefs team's got to go quarantine for right. two weeks, and then yeah. So their next two uh, uh, what? Are their next two games just canceled? I mean, how's that going to work? You can't. Yeah. You can't run I'm a really league like that. I'm really interested in the logistics of it all. Yeah, you can't. It's not going to work. The only model that could even possibly work, in my opinion, is this NBA sort of bubble thing that they're mm-hmm. floating out there. You know, basically what lacrosse. Which, is by the doing. way, the players seem to hate. Right. The players are like, I'm not leaving my family for, for three months to finish the season and play the playoffs and not see him and go sit in a bubble and not go anywhere. I'm not doing that. I mean, most NBA players do not like the bubble idea. Well, no, it's sort of like mass, really, right? It's like it is. No, nobody likes it. Nobody wants to be told what to do. But at the but same time, like, willing to come back. do you want to make a billion dollars or not? You know? Yeah. So I feel like yeah. in the case of NBA and MLB, it's kind of on the players to decide whether or not they want to make the money or not. If they want to mm-hmm. make the money, I think they're going to at least give it a go. If they decide, you know what, we've got enough money, we're not going to even give it a go. Well, you know, the the NBA next season is going to be here before we know it. So, you know, the, the, the whole thing is so tricky and so messy. I think the, the you can't have this where teams are flying around and traveling, even on private jets and staying on the hotels. I don't think that's going to work. The only model that I see working, at least in the short term, let's say the rest of 2020 at least, is this lacrosse model where you, you quarantine coming in, you, you quarantine, you test everyone to start, you test everyone a week later, and if anybody tests positive, basically the whole thing's done. And that's sort of the, the real where the rubber hits the road thing is because you can do everything right, but one staffer or coach or whoever, you know, it doesn't have to be LeBron that comes down with it. If anybody gets it and they're all quarantined together, the whole thing's kind of off. And I think that the chance of that happening is so high that it's like, mm-hmm. is it is it even worth trying at this point? Right. And then, and then, yeah, I mean, I, I think it is high, but I think that if you don't try, there's going to be there's still that restlessness of like, how how do we know it wasn't going to work? Uh, yeah. You know, and, and um, I I think people are really clinging to that the optimism, and I don't blame them. I think it, it's it's easier to be optimistic. It's more it's certainly more pleasant to be optimistic, or more at least fun. have that mindset. Um, the the thing that I, I kind of didn't get to, which is is I think going to be wild, is is, is college football. Um, it, I think it's going to be the wild wild west in that. Because you have so many teams, so many more than any professional league, uh, and they're all governed, uh, you know, it's kind of separately and differently based on their region, and their regions are all impacted separately and differently by the coronavirus. So there's all these layers. On top of it, the ultimate governing body, the NCAA, 
the schools don't really answer to. I mean, they kind of preside over the championship, but the schools, by all means, could essentially do what they want uh, as far as scheduling, playing. Um, it's going to be a matter of whether, I guess, their states will let them. I don't know if there will be, um, yeah. if things will be handled differently for public and private institutions. Um, I yeah. don't know. And then, and then how about uh, conferences like the Pac-12, where you're you're hearing that USC, UCLA, Cal, and Stanford might not be able to play, but the, the Pac-12 conference plans on having competition. Well, how does that work? I, I heard today that Dan Mullen says he wants to just start picking up the phone and making his own schedule with anybody with, with people who want to play, and he'll and he'll put together a schedule that works for him and his team. And I feel like there are going to be a lot of people in that mode, especially if individual communities are being held out. And then I think it just kind of the, the fairness element for, for all the players. I mean, if, if you are just have the bad fortune to be playing for a school in a state where this virus has been hit the hardest, you just have to miss a year. Do you get a free year of eligibility back? Can you transfer? How does that work? I mean, do you have to take a red shirt? I, I think that you, you're going to have a lot of, are people, you still going to get your scholarship? Right. You're going to have a lot of people who are robbed of the competition, robbed of their opportunities, uh, th and it's gonna feel arbitrary because it's being governed differently in fifty different states, and uh, and I and yeah. obviously that could that could still apply to pro sports as well. But again, pro sports they're making a, the the players are making a shitload of money, just like the owners and the coaches are. Whereas in college, it's just the schools and the coaches making that money. So now you're asking the players to be taking on this risk when they're not really getting that much out of it, other than their diploma, which 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 we we've been down that road before, and the the value of it compared to. Um, what their bosses are making. Um, and I, I just think where it's going to be a really wild place because there are going to be people and communities that are hellbent on doing it. And those communities and those states will allow it. And there are going to be other places that are hellbent on stopping it. And there are going to be kids caught in the middle. They're saying, I wish I could be doing it in that state. And their state saying, no, that's not going to work here. Yeah. You hit on so many factors that all of which are true. I'm going to hit on one more. And I think it's the biggest one. It's the revenue. It's the money. It's same as mm -hmm. always. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, money is driving the push to have these games above all else. A lot of these universities, and not just ones in the southeast, but universities all over the country, their, their economic model is completely dependent on there being a football season. They've never planned for a, a case where there is no football on campus yeah say for your blue blood basketball schools every single athletic department in the country is reliant on their football program to buoy up the rest of their department right and so you know a lot of these schools are going to be facing economic ruin if they don't have students paying tuition and or college football propping them up financially and that's where mm -hmm. this is all being driven from and quite frankly again i don't see a solution in the near term. I just don't see it. Now, maybe they try to play with no fans. Um, maybe they try to push the season back to the spring. I know Chris Fowler uh, has been out there sort of touting that possible scenario. Um, I don't know. But I would bet against there being any form of college football happening on college campuses this fall. That That's just my opinion. Again, I hope I'm wrong. Um, and then, you know, you, you hit on another big point. I mean, just take the SEC, for example. It, the, the private versus public school thing is a real tricky one. Um, mm -hmm. In the SEC... Especially when you get into the liability realm of things. 100%. Because you know there are parents who are going to say, your school made my kid play, and he got coronavirus, and he gave it to his aunt, and she died. 
Right. So what happens when Vanderbilt doesn't want to play this SEC mm-hmm. schedule it, or, or in the ACC? What happens if Duke and Wake Forest don't, and Syracuse don't want to play? So it, it mm-hmm. just gets really, really, really tricky, really weird. And who's, make, who's really making messy. the choice? Is it a collective choice that the entire team is making? Or is it just an administrator? Is it an administrator with the help of the schools, with the help of the state? And, and where, where's the authority coming from? Because it could be coming from a different place in every different case. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's going to, I don't think they're going to play games. It's going to be ugly, man. Do you think the NBA plays games this season? No, I think that I'm going to guess that they start around New Year's Day. I think that there was this talk that maybe Christmas could be it, but kind of given the family and I guess what COVID has represented to a lot of people, which which is you know despair and sickness and illness and death, uh, I I've heard that they don't feel real keen on actually opening on that date because it kind of feels it just doesn't feel right. So my guess is they do it right after, maybe on New Year's Day to kick off the new year for the next season. For the for for no, I'm saying for finishing up this season. Oh, you think they will finish up this season? I think they could play the playoffs starting around then um, and then go into a condensed, like basically have a shortened offseason program and maybe go into a condensed year the following. But I'm not convinced they What do they do about the draft? Great question. I mean, the, I mean, Major League Baseball drafts while the season is going on. So I I don't see any reason why you, I mean, the draft to me is arbitrary. I mean, I, I know that. You you typically have it between the seasons, but uh, I mean you could you could still slot it somewhere right between the two. Um, I mean I don't I don't know what college See, basketball is going to look like this year, but well, uh, I'll tell you what know. it's going to look know. like. It's going to be fucking invisible. They're not going to have games. Yeah. Well, so that's that's the thing is like if these if these kids aren't playing basketball in the spring, then what does it matter where you put the draft? You know. Yeah, I think that you're probably right on when they start, but I think they wipe this season. You think you're done this year? I think they're done this year, and they're going to just try to play a regular season next year and probably start at least with no fans. I mean, they basically told their players that as much on Friday. MLB, to me, is the more interesting model. You know, they are supposed to be playing their regular season right now. They still have four and a half months of, of what And to me, Michael, they also seem like the sport, one of the, I guess maybe the team sport that is most conducive to doing this safely yes. and effectively. Just be, by the virtue of how yes. they're spaced out on the field. Um, I'm, excuse me, I'm really interested to see what the players do here. You know, they're, they're, they're going to try to stand hard against this 50-50 revenue share that's being proposed because they see that as being a salary cap. I don't really agree with that. But I also understand that they signed an agreement back in March and they want to stick to that agreement and they don't want to give the owners an inch, especially with the CBA is going to need to be bargained here coming up. They don't want to give the owners any sort of bargaining power heading into that bigger CBA thing. I think it's going to be really tricky. I think that the MLB players much more so than NBA players, the average salary is less I think you've got a lot of players on the lower end of MLB who are making the league minimum, which is around half a million dollars a year. And, you know, half a million dollars a year to most everyone is a ton of money. But, you know, if you're making half a million dollars a year, you're not financially set for life as LeBron James and Chris Paul and Russell mm-hmm. Westbrook and guys like that are. Now, there's certainly plenty of MLB players that are set for life, but I don't think it's the majority of 
like the NBA. And so I think there's more incentive for the players in, in Major League Baseball to get out there and play and pick up their paycheck. I just think that there's a lot of obstacles in the way, and I think that the health mm-hmm. the health uh, thing is real. And then, you know, I think that there's – if I'm an MLB player, and I've seen this articulated by a bunch of guys, I'm sitting there saying, all right, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to make this concession to be in the bubble or whatever – but really, if you're looking at me playing four, four or five months, what are the chances that nobody tests positive in that whole time that we can actually do all this? Like, do we really want to agree to a salary structure that we don't want just for the eventuality that the season's going to be canceled a month in anyway? And I think that's sure, a very yeah. legitimate concern. Yeah, I, I, think, I, think it, I think it absolutely is. And, you know, I, I also feel like um, there – from the player side of thing, I, I think we we often see fans kind of get mad that the players dig their heels in about what that they're not getting enough. I think way too often the owners get get uh, get sided with when when they're the ones who are often being more greedy than the players themselves. But uh, you know, I also kind of feel like there may be a principle involved here where the players are like, "Listen, I mean, I I know that you're used to getting fat off of having twice as many games here, but just because you're losing more money right now doesn't mean you get to take more from my pocket." Um, and, and I, I think that there's a kind of like a, because there's that, like, you're, you're disrespecting me with the, with the pullback on the revenue, like that, that makes it an emotional thing. And that's where I think you see maybe people dig their heels into. So, uh, I, I unfortunately think that the financial aspect of it is in an ugly place. I, I, I wish that kind of just for the sake of, of us and sports fans and normalcy and, and having something that is, is familiar to us that we could just figure it out and these guys could uh, be happy with what they're going to get. But I understand the principles that they're sticking to. I agree. I I see all sides of this. Uh, And I will say, a month ago, I think I said I didn't really care when any of these sports come back. I'm ready for some sports to come back. Like, I I am. And and I realize it's far from the most important thing. But if I'm just going to be sitting at home all the time anyway – be nice to have a little ball of some sort to, to look forward to and to watch. Hell yeah. And I would love to get some MLB. You know, we haven't talked about the NFL. I think the NFL is, I mean, it could go in any direction. I think that, you know, all again, the biggest issue is, is can you make it so that these guys don't test positive and spread it around their locker room and other teams' locker room? I don't see how the NFL is going to pull that off either. But if any of these leagues are going to pull it off, it's going to be them. So we, here's and here's what I think is going to happen with the NFL. Yeah, and tell me. I think they, they did something very very wise. And um, and did you did you notice take note of the the scheduling structure that they used this year? Not they really. Made, they, no, I didn't. The, tell me. Basically, what, what what they did is they created a schedule in which. Um, same teams have the same bye weeks so in essence you could move any week of the front from the front of the schedule to the back of the schedule and not throw off what other teams are doing um or or the schedule as a whole so i think we're moving around like with blocks. The, right so i mean basically you could say we're okay we're going into week one here on september 10th and it's not safe enough to play week one yet rather than trying to push week that same week one opponent back to the next week into the week after that and the week after that, you just move on as if you're going to your, your week two. And whenever you're ready to start, 
you start and then you tack the rest of the season on the back end of that. Um, and I, so I think what's going to happen, knowing the money that's at stake for the NFL, knowing the resources they have, I think they are going to very quietly have a shitload of tests. And I think people are going to be t- getting tested all the time. I think there will be no fans because that poses an extra risk. I think they'll find a way to do minimal personnel. And I think they're going to test, 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 test until, until they're convinced they won't have to cancel the season. And that might mean postponing the start of the regular season by four, six, eight weeks. But I think once they start, they will start and they will not stop. Interesting. Yeah, that, that that's just sense. my, I mean, and I, I could be way off, but that, that's what I guess is going to happen. Well, you know, on the testing front, I guess the number out there as a country that we need to be able to test 3 million people a day, I think we tested something like close to 300,000 people today. But it, it seems like it is ramping up. And now you've got uh, a saliva test. I think you're going to soon have a blood test. Yeah, there's a lot greater variety of tests coming out and uh, a lot more that are coming out. I mean, at first when this thing started, exactly. It was taking weeks for people to get to find out. If you, the, the, you know, kind of the instant nature of a result is what really, I mean, if, if you could get the league with those types of tests, that's where you could kind of really ensure more safety for everyone. Agree. So all good stuff, as our friend Saint would say. Um, let's finish on this. Let's go over a couple things that were kind of maybe some, some things that are becoming kind of traditions or some things that we have done that are new here during this quarantine that we may, that we really like and may take, you know, whenever quote unquote normal comes back and who knows what that's going to be or when that's going to be. But what are some things that you might recommend to the people that you found to be fun that, you know, maybe, maybe they might want to try. Hmm. Let's see. Um, I, I mean, I, part of what I have done is a lot more of the stuff that I already like doing or just stuff that needed to get done. I don't particularly uh, want to go out and just tell people how great yard work is, but I've done a lot of it and it's felt good. And, uh, you know, the outside of our house looks better for it. So you, got, you have a uh, vegetable it, garden going. So actually, as a uh, yeah, my uh, my wife just recently, about a month, maybe a month and a half ago, um, got raised planter beds on the side of our house. And nice. so um, she's she's got two of them set up for um, mostly veggies and a little fruit. Um, and then she's got, or actually mostly vegetables and herbs. Um, and then the third one is, uh, is, is a bunch of flowers. But we got like a couple thousand pounds of dirt to put in those beds. They're pretty big beds. Uh-huh. Um, and I've uh, been doing that, been doing Did some. Did you build uh, the beds yourself? Some no, we did not. We okay. paid to have the beds built at a very reasonable rate. Because okay. um, I'm, uh, I'm eyeing some of that when I moved to Richmond. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. So, no, we, but, um, you know, I, I think that um, we, we've been trying uh, a lot more cuisines, I feel like. I mean, you know, and I've talked plenty about, like, the meat smoking um, and uh, the Traeger usage uh, mm-hmm. that I often enjoy. Men- I mentioned it off the top of the podcast with the chili tonight, but um, been exploring a lot of other like recipes with my Instant Pot. I don't know if you have one of those. I do, uh, for and those I've used do. it the last two nights. And there are just it's it's like a Swiss Army knife. It can do so many things, so many different types of dishes. I mean, I made just an incredible risotto in there, um, nice. and 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 was. Really happy with it, um, and so there. I guess Send I'm trying to expand. I will. I Thank will. I, I I made it with veal marsala. You could do chicken marsala too, but it was okay. uh, 
it was it was a special occasion night. We my the other thing that we've been doing, um, my which I think is pretty fun. My wife and I have been having a themed date nights uh, where we kind of will will make up a, a kind of a, a theme or an occasion or like something that we're we're gonna base the night around. So it's been everything from like a country, like I mentioned, doing the the veal and risotto. I, I threw an Italian night for us, and we uh, we listened to like Rat Pack music and cooked Italian, and then we watched Goodfellas, which my wife had never seen. That's awesome. So that was like our Italian night. She she did a, a night that was all surrounding, uh, all revolving around the letter B. She bought me a basketball, got a bunch of beers, we grilled burgers, um, and uh, and so we just we have fun with like little events in the middle of the week to kind of keep things interesting and not have to wait for the weekend for the mundane to be over, you know? So I would really recommend trying to create little events in your week. The other thing that I would do, and I've, I've told a couple friends about it, I'll tell you in the podcast as well. There's a local tap house near me um, that normally does trivia in their bar. They've continued to do trivia online. It doesn't cost anything to play. I don't even think there are prizes, but they do it Jeopardy style and it's in an online forum and it works surprisingly well and is super fun. So uh, that sounds weeks fun. Ago, uh, I played Jeopardy. They do it every every Thursday at seven o'clock. The, the, uh, the tap room is called The 649. And, uh, and so if anyone's interested in playing some Jeopardy style trivia, that's a good way to kill some time. Um, we've also on Mother's Day, we did, uh, we played Zoom, we played bingo over Zoom with uh, my in-laws. So we were, yep. we wanted to kind of have a little brunch with them. Uh, my wife emailed them PDFs of bingo cards. We've also done that with some of like, uh, some of our just our, our couple's friends. And uh, so something really easy to do over Zoom, if you have one bingo set up, email everyone a card. You can even gamble with your friends. Um, as I think I mentioned before, I've also been playing some online poker over Zoom. Mm-hmm. That's been fun and like a good way to connect with people. So I don't know that I've like, I've really, I guess, expanded my horizons too much. I've just been kind of getting a little bit broader in the areas that I already enjoy. Yeah, that, that all sounds fun. My friend, on the topic of bingo, my friend Mike Willie in Richmond, uh, one of my oldest friends, he came up with this idea for bingo where he, he does like musical bingo. So he made okay. like, he made all the cards, PDF, sends them to people like you said, and then he plays, you know, he's made playlists of like, he'll do like a theme, he'll do like 90s rock or, or gangster rap or jam bands or whatever, separate mm-hmm. bingo games. And then he'll, you know, he's made a playlist where it plays a song for a minute and you have to know which song it is to know if you got, you know, the, the spot on your oh, bingo. Oh, I like that. That's cool. Yeah, and he, and he actually, like, does a, a neighborhood style where he sits out on his porch and calls out all the numbers and people kind of sit out on the sidewalk socially distanced. <laughs> I like play. it. But, he, yeah, That's he'll also cool. play over Zoom. So that he, he kind of came yeah. up with that on his own, I think, but maybe not. That's pretty sweet. I like that. Yeah, so I've done that and on what about Zoom yourself? with him. Um, but... Uh, what was some some stuff? Okay, so stuff I've done uh, on the cooking front. You know, you, you see it on online a lot. I think it's kind of died down now. But the the sourdough bread making. Um, my we my got wife a sourdough I, starter. We put it in the freezer. We haven't been feeding it or actually making anything with it yet. Okay, so we got my wife found like a a, a lady was giving away starters one Sunday on the next door app, which I don't mm-hmm. do. Um, but my wife does. And she went and, and got that starter. We fed it. She made – my wife, by the way, hardly cooks at all. Like, I do almost all the cooking. So it's like a big thing for her to sort of dive in. She'll bake stuff occasionally. 
but she went out and did it all on her own. She found this recipe. It was a really complex recipe. And I'll be damned, Ryan, if it wasn't some of the best bread I've ever had in my life. I mean, it was That's un awesome to hear. unbelievable. Um, and that was like a month ago. Then we got another starter from somewhere, and it wasn't quite as good. And then we saw this like really high-end bakery in Noe Valley with uh, you know special kind of treat for the coronavirus. They were... You know, they make this unbelievable sourdough bread, San Francisco style. And they said, this Sunday only, starting at 7 a.m. when we open, we're going to give away, you know, however many extra starters we have, you know, first come, nice, first serve. Cool. So I got up at like 6.45, and I swear to God, like before the place was just before it opened at 7, there was a line down the block. I stood in it for about half an hour, and I got a starter. Um, so now awesome. we're feeding that starter, and we're going to make a, a loaf this this Sunday. But we've also well, I'm made excited to hear about how that one turns out. Me then. too. Me too. And and we we also made sourdough pizza one night mm. out of out of one of the starters. So we're in pretty deep here on the sourdough, sourdough bread land. starter. I like so it. Uh, that's one thing. Another thing that I've gotten into, which is totally different from sourdough bread, is have you heard of Wim Hof? No, I don't think I have. Okay, so he's this. I think he's German or maybe Norwegian. He goes Sounds by the, German. He he goes by the nickname the Iceman. You can just okay. look him up. He's got a good Instagram feed, but he's all into this like breathing exercises where you 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 do all this breathing stuff and then you hold your breath and you kind of try to build up how long you can hold your breath and you and you do a bunch of rounds of it. So there's like sort of a a health you know lung expansion lung strengthening component to it. There's also a meditative component to it. And I've been doing that every day now, probably for over a month. I'm really into it. I, I track, you know, I get on the app that he has. I, I track how long I'm breathing. I've gotten a few friends into it now and we'll come, you know, one of us will have a long hold one day and we'll text each other, you know, like 215 or, or whatever, like things like that. So I've gotten now to where I can hold my breath up to about two minutes when I'm really feeling good. Uh, actually, Chris, second time this show that we're gonna, I'm going to say the name Chris Fowler. He really is the one that got me into it. He's a big workout guy. He talked about yeah. it on his Yeah, on his he, he is like story. sneaky ripped. I mean, you would know if you worked at ESPN. Well, but like what I'm saying is that like almost like the, the average person, you only sees him in a suit and I'm not sure you would notice. But if you've ever seen him in anything outside of it, dude is chiseled. He's ripped. I mean, follow him on Instagram. Yeah. I mean, he's a bit of a, he's not a bit of, he's a total narcissist. Um, <laughs> but I like him. I like, I think he, I think he's endearing. I think he means well. He's very much loves himself, but uh, he's on the Instagram story all the time, like working out, giving workout tips and talking and engaging. It's, I, I like him. I always have. Uh, but he really was the one that inspired me to do this Wim Hof. I'd heard about it before. Wim Hof is also, in addition to the breath work, he's big into like ice baths and cold showers. I mean, he's climbed Mount Everest in just a t-shirt before, like in the freezing cold. He's a really interesting guy. Check him out. Maybe you do the breath work, maybe you don't. But if nothing else, he's interesting. He's got some documentaries. He was on Gwyneth Paltrow's Netflix show, Goop. Uh, my wife and I watched that. So... I'm just into oh, Wim Hof. What is Paltrow? Did you know that she's she's selling a candle that smells like her vagina? I did see that. She also has <laughs> on her channel or whatever her show on Netflix has a uh, has a vulva episode. Watch that one night with your wife and, and tell me how you feel. 
<laughs> maybe maybe I won't. You should. I, I actually I recommend it. Um, what else have I been doing? I've talked about this a little bit, but for me, the thing that's replaced sports the most is, especially now on the weekends, uh, I just really have been enjoying going into the YouTube archives and watching, try to watch full concerts of bands that I really like. And my kids are into it now. Every Saturday night, we have what's called the, the Saturday Night Dance Party, where I turn on a concert, we turn off all the lights, I try to play something awesome and upbeat. You know, some nights they really like it, some nights they get a little bored, but that's become a tradition. But, you know, when they, usually when they get bored, I'll, I'll turn on a movie for them and I'll come downstairs in this little basement room that we have and continue to watch the concert. I've tried to been tweeting out some of the better concerts that I've watched just to share with some of, with some of the followers out there. So I'll keep mm -hmm. doing that. But I, I've watched some great shows. We watched uh, a Michael Jackson concert uh, from 1989 the other, the other day, and it was freaking great. I'm not sure if I'd ever seen Michael Jackson perform like in a concert before, uh, the fans, this was in Bucharest. You can find it on YouTube really <laughs> easily. But the fans in Bucharest, Ryan, in 1989, really liked Michael Jackson. I mean, to, to a degree that I've never seen a crowd like anyone before. Yeah, I mean, I think that that was, you know, I think people kind of, they said it was akin to like Beatlemania, the way the crowds would chase him and the kind of the rabidity that people had, like, just almost frothing at the mouth like he was some demigod or something. Um, I, I I have heard things about those crowds. I've seen I've seen still images of him and even videos of him of him being chased through the streets. Uh, it's pretty wild. Well, I I recommend that just I mean you don't need to watch much. Uh, just watch the first five or ten minutes of that Michael Jackson Bucharest show uh, from 1989, and you'll see what I'm talking about. But where, where he does back to about an hour in, I watched a good bit of this. About an hour in, he goes back-to-back -back Thriller and Billie Jean. And, I mean, I was moon... My, me and my kids were, were, were practicing the moonwalk across the living room. It was great. It was, I mean, his dance moves are... It's like he's a robot. It's unfucking believable It really is. Yeah, I mean, he, he, he was certainly a showman. I can't, uh, I can't say that... Uh, it, it's weird, like... Because there's so much cancel culture today where it's like, how could anyone support this person? Like, I do think the guy's a pedophile. So it's hard wow. for me to be like, yeah, I want to go watch that concert. But if you could separate just the showman and music from it, uh, I'm sure it was kick-ass. I've heard as much from uh, anyone who's seen the shows before. Yeah. So th those are my three things. Sourdough, Wim Hof, and YouTube concerts. Um, I've also been enjoying The Last Dance. I have one mm -hmm. episode. I guess it's the eighth episode left to watch and then sadly it's going to be over this sunday and then we basically have well we've got nascar so not not all is lost i guess yeah they although i guess uh i saw that this summer they're going to roll out a documentary on uh the bonds mcguire yeah excuse me, the sosa mcguire home run chase that should be awesome uh something that that uh, promises to be extremely heavy. Have you seen the trailer for the Roy Halladay documentary? No. That looks like it's uh check that out. There's like a two minute trailer. It's called imperfect. And uh, obviously about his perfect games. And then, and, and about his essential drug addiction at the end that caused him, caused, ended up causing his, his fatal plane crash at the end. I did so, not uh, know that. 
it's um yeah I, bet, I, I guess he was on a ton of amphetamines like 10 times like the normal um kind of amount that any normal human would have uh have any reason to have on board he was doing stunts in his plane and i guess he was chasing some uh some major demons and uh oh. it's going to be all about how you know his life was in total control on the mound and looks like disarray off of it um that, but that people weren't really aware of um, wow. so check out the tra- check out the trailer for that I, I saw it come out late last week and uh it's weird to say you're excited for it but it looks really compelling interesting i keep meaning to watch that formula one documentary you told me about I yeah just haven't, that one's good i haven't i haven't gotten there yet but i will i go to bed early i mean I go to bed between like 9.30 and 10, and my kids don't go to bed between like 8.30 and 9. So that doesn't leave a ton no. of, you know, TV time. I've been trying to read a little bit, too. but I have been as well. I have been as well. I'm about to finish a book, and uh, good for you. that's good because I don't usually do a lot of that. I read more articles than I do books. <clears throat> Me, too. Me, too. All right. By the way, on that note, shout out to The Athletic. I think The Athletic has still been doing – a great job, even though there's mm-hmm. really nothing to cover. I read the, I, I scroll. Amazingly, I think they've done a great job finding things to cover, or at least finding and writing stories that resonate right now with people, um, and not just kind of like, and not just like the radio and TV programming of like, here's this classic game that we all remember, but like actual stories about people from times that we remember. And I think some of the content they've enterprised has been really, really, really smart and creative. Totally agree. I think they're doing a great job. I like them a lot. Let's listen on that. We've we've gone deep enough here. Let's get back together in two weeks, and hopefully, you know, by doing absolutely nothing, the coronavirus will have gone, and and we're getting ready for some hardball here in July. Amen, brother. That's what I'm hoping for. All right. You and me both. Good night, everybody. Sleep tight. Good night, y'all.